Let's take the Bible to John, John chapter 21, and actually John 20, John 20. Sure been great to be with you, and I appreciate all the kindness, good services, all the kind words, thoughtful attention. I haven't uh, been having to, you know, try to whip you up to get you to pay attention to everything. I can tell that you want the Bible preached. You want just Bible preaching. You're not looking for uh, great, incredible, awesome stories and all of that and all kinds of great jokes. I, I like jokes. I like good, clean jokes, but I don't think it's appropriate to stand up here and tell a bunch of jokes. I don't think that's good. And I appreciate your pastor and his family and all the work that goes on around here. You can tell being around Lighthouse Baptist Church, every time I've been here, you can tell this is not a one-man operation or a one-family operation. It is a body, and it's functioning as a body, and the members are set in the body, having to care one for another, edifying one another, exhorting one another. It's been good to be around you. And uh, the way you fed us on Sunday and the way the Bylers fed us tonight and all the money you gave us to go out to eat, I will be the fastest-growing preacher in Maine. may not have the fastest-growing church, but I will be the fastest-growing preacher if I don't dial it way back (laughs) very soon here. So it's been good. You've, you've certainly given bread enough and to spare, and I thank the Lord for it. We'll turn, as I said, to John 20 and continue to pray for us in Midcoast Baptist Church. We pray for you regularly, and I mean, I pray for you folks uh, at least once a week. I'm praying for this church at least once a week, many times, typically through a week. Uh, there's not a lot of places like this place anywhere near this place, you know, and there's not a lot of churches like this, and And we so thank the Lord for the fellowship. Our fellowship is with each other because of the fellowship we have with Him. As John said when he wrote 1 John, he said that his fellowship was, the Apostles' fellowship is with the Father and the Son. And so he's declaring the Father and Son to the others out there. And if they'll have that fellowship going that way, then we'll have this fellowship going this way. And that is why we have that. It's because of the book and it's because of our Lord and uh, let's just keep doing what we're doing by the grace of God. And let's be humble. Let's, wherever the Lord works in us to change, let's change if it's biblical and all. But let's just keep obeying the Lord. John chapter 20, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Referring back to that resurrection Sunday evening when the Lord Jesus, in verse 19, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Now, the doors were shut. It's connected to for fear of the Jews. What that's called, that's called just using wise precautions, having wisdom for seeing the evil and preparing for that. And uh, I, I certainly wouldn't criticize them for having the doors shut. The idea is the doors were shut and they were locked shut. They were shut tight. And I wouldn't criticize that church. That made total sense because of the threats against them. And by the way, in the same way, I wouldn't criticize any church today for having a security system like you have and having people that uh, take seriously, having men that take seriously, looking out for any type of threat and, and, and providing protection for those that are worshiping. And, you know, things like having a phone available to call 911 in the event of any type of emergency, medical or otherwise, and, and having people that, you know, think about those things. I'm just saying that because if anyone ever criticizes you for having that stance, just take them right here. They shut the door. They had the door shut and locked. And the, and the Lord teaches that in the Bible. 
So that resurrection Sunday night, he had appeared as they were assembled, and he stood in the midst, verse 19. I like that little phrase, in the midst. You'll read that Jesus, uh, that there were two thieves, and Jesus was in the midst. And you'll read here that when Jesus died, he was in the midst of sinners. And then here he's in the midst of his church. And you see that in Revelation 1, and he's in the midst tonight. Where we are gathered in his name, as his church is gathered, he walks in the midst. And verse 20, when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Now, I want you to remember that for later. He appears and he shows them, he points out his hands and his side. They could see the wound still in his hand and his side, and they see him now alive. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord, and that should be our reaction every time we're together, and the Lord Jesus is presented through the singing and the preaching and the word of God. We should be glad to know that the Lord is risen. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. I do not pray to receive the Holy Ghost. He told them they would pray to receive the Holy Ghost, and apparently they did, and he did give them the Holy Ghost right here. Then on the day of Pentecost, they were baptized in the Holy Ghost. When you and I were saved... We receive the Holy Ghost. We didn't need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. That event transpired on the day of Pentecost, and the effects are ongoing to this day. But we have received the Holy Spirit. And then by one Spirit, we're baptized. We're we're led into the waters of baptism into a local New Testament church, the body of Christ. But he said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. I understand that. Just lay that down right alongside over in Matthew 18. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And people that uh, are, are claiming their sins are forgiven, but the church of Jesus Christ examines them with Scripture and sees they're not people that are forgiven, then you don't receive them into membership. Or if they're in membership, you put them out if they won't repent of ongoing sin. People ask me sometimes in our church, you know, what sin would you discipline someone out for as a church? any sin that's unrepented of. And we're not quick to do that, but any ongoing sin that somebody won't repent of, they can't be a member of the church because we're not to be okay with sin. We're to be dealing with sin, mortifying sin, combating sin, never just excusing sin. And then he said, uh, then in verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, which means twin, and so... He wasn't there that night when Jesus appeared that you read about in 19 to 23. He was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall, what's the word? See in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side I will not believe. Now, I want you to just think about this. If I can't see it and if I can't feel it, if I can't touch, if I can't see and if I can't feel, then I will not believe. Think about that. And after eight days again, his disciples were within. So eight days, Sunday passes, Monday passes, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And so now we're Sunday evening. Eight days have passed. And, you know, you do see a pattern here of them meeting on Sunday. You see that pattern? And that pattern continues all the way through the New Testament. And even John, when the Lord met him on the Isle of Patmos, he called it the Lord's Day. 
a Lord's Day. After eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. So now he's in this place. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut. So again, this matter of the doors are shut, and yet Jesus shows up in the midst. Isn't that something? He absolutely has a body. He absolutely has a body, but it is a glorified body. And we don't know all about our glorified bodies, but we know when we shall see him, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. It's going to be interesting to find out what all that entails, isn't it? And he stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. So uh, we have this pattern here, these, these meetings of the church. The Lord is in the midst and peace is declared. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but what church? Believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet, in spite of not seeing, and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. The message tonight is titled, Believe and Be Blessed. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you in Jesus' name that we have this passage, these passages before us, and we can be strengthened by your word and by your Holy Spirit. Now accomplish all your good pleasure, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Believe and be blessed. We're going to look at Thomas a little bit tonight, and there will be some criticism of Thomas, but I want to say at the outset, I'm very cautious when I'm critiquing any of the apostles or any of the other men of God in Scripture or any of the people of God, men, women, in Scripture. If the Bible didn't reveal negatives about the apostles, I wouldn't talk about them. But we are to preach how much of the counsel of God? All the counsel of God. I find it disconcerting when I hear some that will really talk about the apostles as if they were silly, immature, fools. I heard a man once refer to them as a bunch of idiots. (laughs) That's terrible. You know, right now, Lighthouse Baptist Church is built on the apostles. You know, they're still apostles. There's no apostles walking around on earth. The apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ are still apostles. They're sitting up in heaven, and they're coming back one day, and they're going to rule over Israel sitting on 12 thrones. And we have received their doctrine and practice. We had to be very careful and very respectful talking about them. As a matter of fact, you wouldn't uh, run down and criticize your pastor and, and you know just willy-nilly point out any fault you ever saw for no reason. Because he's one. He's your pastor. Well, these men are our apostles. We have to be careful how we talk about them. I don't think it pleases the Holy Spirit when we just run them, so to speak, into the ground. But yet the Bible does give criticism of them. The Bible reveals negatives about them, and we must notice those and learn from those. These were the men who the Lord Jesus chose to be His sent ones, which is the meaning of the word apostle. By the way, we do have apostles today in the generic sense. Missionaries are sent ones. But an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ is a different category altogether. That is one who has seen the risen Lord Jesus, personally commissioned, personally called, 
personally taught, personally sent into all the world and all. And you can note the difference as you look through the New Testament and you see, for instance, Barnabas is called an apostle in one place. And there's called some others, uh, the Greek term apostolos, apostoloi, the plural, that shows up in different places. But an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a very technical phrase. And it's important to know the difference. There is no apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ walking around on planet earth today. But these men are the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they walked with Him and talked with Him. They worked and preached with Him. They baptized with Him. They rejoiced with Him. They wept with Him. They suffered and sorrowed with Him. And as I said, one day they'll rule with Him when His kingdom comes in its fullness and glory. We are built upon them. His churches are built upon them. They received the words and the doctrines of Christ directly from Him as He had received them from the Father. They have transferred the words and doctrines to you and to me, to the Lord's churches. And also, anytime you read something the apostles said or did and you want to say, what's the matter with you guys? Just remember something. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2, Corinthians, Galatians. You get the point? They didn't have that. One day I was reading through the book of Job, and it struck me about halfway through, Job didn't have the book of Job. We have to be careful. God was working some things out of Job, but we've got to be careful not to be overly critical of Job. We have the book of Job. We have seen the end of the Lord. Job was living through that. By the way, when you see somebody else living through a great trial and tribulation and all, be respectful, be thoughtful. We know God's going to bless. All things work together for good. We all know that. But when you're right in the middle of that thing, that could be overwhelming at times. Amen? The apostles, uh, such as Thomas, they didn't have the completed canon of Scripture. You know, the newest Christian at Midcoast Baptist Church is a young man named Jath Neal. He is 20 years old. He's a Filipino kid. He's in engineering school. And Jath Neal, uh, within just a few weeks of being saved, he had read all of Luke and all of X. Thomas hadn't gotten to read all of Luke and X. It didn't even exist. So this newborn babe in Christ, Jath Neal could read 1 Corinthians 15. Thomas didn't have 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Thomas didn't have that. Thomas didn't have the book of Revelation. He was living all of this. And... Thomas went through these times, and they were very difficult times for him. He lacked the wealth of information, the promises and commands and warnings that, you know, sadly, we often take for granted. You ever think, boy, I wish I could have lived with Abraham. and I don't. I wish I could have traveled with Paul. I don't. The Lord knew we need to be alive right now, and we have the blessed entirety of the Scriptures in our hands. We've got piles of them. You go to our houses, we all have bread enough and to spare with Bibles. We have all over the place, but we got it on our phones, on our laptop. We've got it on CDs. Some, I, until just a few years ago, I had it on cassette tape. I finally got rid of my Alexander Scorby cassette tapes because nobody's using tape players anymore, right? We've got it, uh, I, I mean, my dad, someone years ago gave him a slide, a single slide, the entire Bible's on that one side. I don't know what use there is to it. You can't, you can't really read it, but it, there it is. And, and we've got Bibles on top of Bibles on top of Bibles. They didn't have the Bible. They just had the Old Testament Scriptures, and if Thomas wanted to read those, he'd have to go down to a synagogue and get permission to look at them. And do you think they would have given him permission? <laughs> he was with Jesus Christ. Those men weren't quite blessed like we are, and we take it for granted. 
Thomas had just seen his best friend who who loved him and who called him and empowered him to preach and sent him out to minister and pray with him. His best friend, his king, his Lord, who washed his feet. Thomas had just seen him taken by wicked men and shamefully treated and whipped and beaten and stripped and mocked with a crown of thorns and nailed to a cross where he was spit on and insulted, cursed, and then run through with a spear. Put yourself in Thomas' sandals. And just think about it a little bit. Yes, Thomas was doubting that Christ arose, and in that matter he was faithless, and that's wrong. Jesus had to command him, be not faithless. It was sinful to be faithless. But we can sympathize with Thomas. The truth is, you and I can see times since we've been saved, when in weakness and in confusion, we were basically saying, if I can't see something or feel something soon, then I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how much more I can take. How much can I believe? Or we need to obey this particular precept or principle or passage of Scripture. I know it says it, but I don't see how it's going to work out. And I just don't know if I feel it and if I can see it. At times we've been just like Thomas. We believe that Christ arose. Do you believe Christ arose? But have you consistently since the moment you've been saved lived every moment of your life as Jesus is the risen King who sits upon His throne and I'm living in 100% obedience to Him. No, you haven't. And neither have I. At times, with our real act of faith, we have stumbled and we have not at a particular moment, a particular point of decision, a particular battle, we have not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus and really lived by faith. Living by faith is taking God at His word and obeying it. And there's been plenty of times we haven't. I heard a preacher when I was 15. He said, every time you've sinned since you've been saved, he said, it's just because you just didn't really believe God right there. And I thought, you know, I was 15 years old. I thought, why don't I believe God? Why would he say that? But the more I thought of that, the more I realized what he's saying. At that particular point in time, whatever that temptation was, we basically said, I don't believe God. I believe this. And then, of course, because we're saved, we were smitten in our hearts, we were convicted, we were chastised, what have you, and we got that right. But as I look at times I failed the Lord, it's because right then and there, I wasn't believing God. I was believing something else. And so this text ultimately encourages us to believe and be blessed. But let's look at the passage with the natural flow, the failure of Thomas. Can everybody say the failure of Thomas? All right, good. And then the faithfulness of the Lord. Go ahead. The faithfulness of the Lord. The failure of Thomas, but the faithfulness of the Lord. And then after that, the call to believe and be blessed. Just say believe and be blessed. Well, let's look at the failure of Thomas. We don't like to highlight his failures. We, we highly regard and respect him as an apostle, but here it is and we ought to learn from it. Uh, where did Thomas go off track, we could ask? Well, who was Thomas' original preacher who pointed him to Jesus Christ? It was John the Baptist. John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he was sent to prepare a people for the Lord, and he definitely prepared a people for the Lord. Among them were certain men who, when Jesus came along and called these men, they were ready to go because Thomas had pre- or excuse me, John the Baptist had preached to them. And you know what John the Baptist preached? One thing he preached, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And what does that tell you? 
that Jesus would die, the Lamb of God. And then he also preached that this same Jesus would one day baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire and would judge, and you would either go into the barn or go into the furnace. So what did that let you know? This Jesus who would die as the sacrificial lamb obviously wouldn't stay dead because he'd sit at the final day as the judge over all. So John the Baptist was preaching that Jesus would come and would die and he would be and he would be buried and be raised again. No wonder the Bible says John preached the gospel. No wonder Paul said years and years later over in Ephesus when he met those men, he said John the Baptist preached that you should believe on him who should come. And he's talking about Jesus Christ. And so uh, no wonder we find that John the Baptist is the first New Testament preacher in the book of Mark and the book of Luke. That's very plain. No wonder we know that John the Baptist was preaching the new birth. Because Jesus said publicans and harlots were going into the kingdom of God because of the preaching of John the Baptist. And you don't go in the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, we, when he's preaching the new birth to Nicodemus, Jesus said, we preach what we know. And, and he said, ye receive not our witness. Who was he talking about? He's talking about him and John the Baptist both. But Thomas was neglecting at this crisis point in his life when he knows Jesus has died, the church is telling him Jesus has risen. Thomas is not applying what he knew factually. He's not applying actually. Have we ever been guilty of that? We know the fact about whatever matter we're facing, but the actual application of it, it's going right over our heads. We're forgetting it. We're not laying hold on these things and applying them appropriately. Lord, help us to get this. By the way, did Jesus ever preach that he would die and be raised again? Where did he preach it? Matthew 16, 21. He said he would die and he would be raised again the third day. And if you'd have said to Thomas when Jesus said that, do you believe that, Thomas? He'd have said, well, if he said it, then it settles it. You know, Jesus said it. How could I doubt him? And yet here it is in real time, Brother Andrew, and he's not taking what he's learned from Jesus and actually applying it. He should have gone to church, and when they said, the Lord is risen indeed, he should have said, oh, I remember him preaching that, and I remember what John the Baptist said, you're telling me he appeared to you? Well, praise the Lord. Thomas had heard with his ears, but he was not appropriating that doctrine he had been taught and received when he really needed to apply it. That's what preachers talk about when we say we must appropriate the Word of God. We must put it appropriately where it belongs in our lives. He didn't receive the testimony of Mary Magdalene and the other women and the ten apostles, even though the Old Testament Scriptures declare that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word should be what? Established. Thomas didn't say, well, the Lord preached it, John the Baptist preached it, you all are telling me, then it's established according to the Scriptures. They said, we've seen the Lord. He said, I don't believe it. I demand to see and to touch. I need to see something and I need to feel something. And if I don't see and feel, I will not believe. It's the failure of Thomas. You ever been there? 
Lord, I, I really believe we're, we're doing Your will here. I really believe that this is Your church. I really believe that this is the way you know, that You want us to have our, our family operate. And I really believe this is the Word of God. But Lord, I just need to see something. I need to feel something. You ever heard that? I've even heard preachers say that. They say, I mean, it's good to go to church and it's good to hear preaching, but I need to see and I need to feel something happen. Really? What did Jesus call that? He called it faithless. Now, you know, you know what I find? Brothers and sisters, when I take God of this word and obey that, every now and then the Lord really lets me see something unusual, lets me feel something unusual. Absolutely, there are services I go home saying, well, I can't explain that, but thank the Lord. But thank the Lord the next Sunday when maybe it's more normal and it's, it's singing and God is glorified. It's giving and God is glorified. And it's preaching and God is glorified. And the people of God say, we receive with meekness what we learn. That's also God being glorified and doing something. For us to demand seeing and feeling something, we're out of place when we do that. The failure of Thomas. He failed to really apply the preaching he had heard. And he failed to submit to the scriptures that the witnesses should be believed. But in spite of his failure, we see the faithfulness of the Lord. How's the Lord faithful? Well, he's faithful to stand again in the midst of his church. Jesus is in the midst. Now, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Was that church at that time, was it flawless? Everything was perfect? No problems whatsoever? And that's why Jesus could. Look at me. That's why Jesus could show up. You ever heard that language? We better make sure everything's perfect, everything's right. That way God can show up. We ought, to, we ought to be striving to make sure everything's right and everything's perfect and everything's good with God and everybody else. But our God is so great, He can show up even if we're not right. He can show up and help us get right. And that's what He did here. The Lord didn't hold back and say, well, I can't visit my church because Thomas isn't right, so everything's not right. There's times you'll get discouraged. You'll know there's somebody in the church that's not right. You'll know there's something that's not right. And you might think, I don't know if the Lord can bless. I don't know if the Lord can meet with us. He can still meet with us. We need to do our part to stay right, to be right, to submit to Him, to do His will. But thank the Lord God, even when we're not perfect, He's always perfect. And He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, if we just say we're going to gloss over sin, ignore sin, not deal with sin, we know things are wrong and we'll just pretend like it's okay. That's like the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 5. And there can be a threat, Revelation 2 and 3, at some point that He won't show up anymore. God forbid that. But as long as we are aware of who we are and where we are and what's going on and we're dealing with what we ought to deal with, you see a pattern. It's the Lord's Day. The church gathers and Jesus is in the midst and peace is declared. And there's a gospel emphasis. The first Lord's Day of the resurrection and the next one. There's a gospel. How's there a gospel emphasis? First, both times he said peace. Gospel of peace. Second, he showed them the gospel as he showed his hands on his side, thus showing, you can see, I died. And here I am, there's the resurrection. Every Lord's Day, I know, I know it's true here at Lighthouse Baptist Church, I know you. 
there is at least some gospel emphasis. There's going to be in a song or songs, the gospel, even if the message is not all gospel, it's going to be at some point, it's going to be stated. Christ died for our sins. Christ rose again. We serve a risen Savior. And that's one of the main reasons we, we meet together always to, at some point, emphasize the gospel. And then, of course, because of that, emphasize everything else the Lord says to emphasize. But you see the gospel emphasis and the peace proclaimed. And so now think with me about this. Jesus is faithful to stand in the midst of his church. He is faithful to again declare peace to his church. And then he was faithful to confront Thomas's failure. Now, I don't know about you, but if your pastor walked up here, And I'm just going to make something up. It's just an illustration. Don't anybody get nervous, okay? Pastor Byler walked up here Sunday morning and uh, gets up on this platform and he says, Peace be to you. Peace be to you. Now, Robert, I need you to stand up because we got to deal. Everybody knows what you said the other night and it's wrong and we got to confront it and we got to deal with it right now. Would that feel very peaceful? I mean, we're just we're pretending that last Sunday night, Brother Robert said in front of the whole church, until I feel something and see something, I just can't believe, you know, and, and he said some foolish thing like that. The next service, peace, and now we're going to confront this public sin. You know, the average American Christian would say, that doesn't feel peaceful at all. Hey, we better be better than average, amen? Better be biblical. But most people today... Brother Andrew, Brother Bradley, and all the rest of you brothers, most people today would say, that's not a very peaceful church. Well, that pastor just called that guy out right in front of everybody. Well, you know, public sin gets dealt with publicly. Private sin gets dealt with privately, amen? That's how you do it. That's biblical. Actually, when Jesus declared peace and then confronted the failure, we see that the Bible... God's Word reveals that true peace will involve dealing with issues. Dealing with issues. You know why some homes have constant issues that never get resolved? Because they're not really dealt with. I tell, I tell married men often, some guys will say, well, we, we've just never had a problem once in our house. And I say, then you just told me that your wife runs the house. And your kids run the house. Because... If a man is leading his home as he ought, he's, you're, you're a sinner and you're leading a sinner. Can anybody say amen to that? The first part, the husband's a sinner. Go ahead, ladies. Give a big whoopee amen right there. Wave a hanky. Yeah. And ladies, you're sinners too. Now, sometimes both are sinning. Sometimes only one is sinning. A lady once said to me, only by pride cometh contention. So anytime there's contention, both people are proud. That's one of the stupidest things I ever heard. There was contention Jesus had to deal with. Jesus never sinned. Never one time. But if a man's leading his home, it's going to happen. Where a a lady might say something that's untoward or not right. And then the man has to decide, now what, what do I do? Just ignore that? Well, the Bible says sanctify her. And so in a Christ-like way, you're going to have to say, we can't, we can't go that direction. You know, you can't disrespect the husband like that. I'm the husband. You can't do that. It's against God's word. That would be against Christ. That would be opposite of how Christ operates. I'll be out of line with Christ if I let my children uh, disrespect me. Or if if my wife said something that was out of turn, I need to say, no, you shouldn't do that. And I just let that go. 
I'd be out of I'd be out of sync with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is my head, I'm her head. Is that biblical? Amen. Some people think the absence of any confrontation is the only way to have peace. Hey, we don't want to confront the mess at the border, so just let, let them all come in. That way we have peace. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Criminals are running rampant in Chicago, New York City, Philadelphia, probably Miami too. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we don't want to have a big, a big you know, problem, so just let them do what they're doing. Hey, they want to have a Black Lives Matter march down through downtown. They want to loot and burn. I, we can't blame them. They're upset. They're angry. We don't blame them. So just let them do it because if we put a stop to it, we might look mean. We might look racist. We might look bad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so just let it go so we can have what? It's not peace. We don't want to confront it. Actually, the way to peace is confronting with truth. There's got to be a confrontation of the failure. And as I said, some, some men will brag, you know, well, we've never had ever, ever, we've never had an issue in our home. Well, that's because you probably just have never really stood, stood for anything. So please don't take that and say, well, I better go home and stand for something so I can have a fight so I can say I'm a good husband. <laughs> don't do that. Let's not do that. But I'm just giving you reality. That's just reality. In a church, you take a pastor that's pastored for years, and people say, and we've never one time as a church have ever had a problem. You're not doing anything for God, I'll bet. Probably not much going on. The devil's not wanting to fight too much. And every now and then in a true church, a pastor's going to have to say, we need to get something straightened out. We need to deal with this. The Apostle Paul had to deal with churches, didn't he? Jesus dealt with the sin. There won't be true peace if we don't deal with the sin that's unrepented of. Now, if Thomas in the meantime would have gone back to the church and said, hey, everybody, you all heard what I said last Sunday evening. That was a total mess. I never should have said that. Please forgive me. I believe they would have forgiven him. You see that in Matthew 18. Jesus had already taught that. I don't believe Jesus would have had to deal with them publicly. There have been times I've thought, well, I'm going to have to deal with this because this person, you know, they're whatever. And I pray and say, Lord, I pray that you deal with them. You know, if you don't do something in their heart by next Sunday or by, you know, a couple weeks from now, then I'll have to go ahead and lead the church to tackle this. But I've seen times when the Lord didn't even need me to do anything. We get to church and someone just says during testimony meeting, hey, I need to tell everybody. Everybody knows about this. I want you to know I'm sorry. I never should have done that. Shouldn't have said that. Please forgive me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. But the Lord declared peace, and the Lord showed you're going to have to be confronted that there might be repentance and restoration. Now, Jesus said there is the peace of this world, the peace the world giveth, and the peace the world giveth. Let's just put a salve on it, give it some drugs, you know, put a Band-Aid on it, just, you know, for, for, just forget about it, just random acts of forgiveness. You know, well, uh, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer did all this. Let's all forgive him, you know, let's just forgive him. The guys, remember 9-11? The buildings had barely crumbled, and there were evangelical Christians on TV saying, we need to forgive these people. That's not biblical forgiveness. That's not taught in the Bible. I call it random acts of, it makes a mockery of real biblical forgiveness. But Jesus, the Lord God, he doesn't give the peace of this world. He never divorces peace from confrontation. If you, are, if you have peace with God, it's because you've been confronted with the gospel and conviction of the Holy Ghost. God showed you you were a sinner and you got on your face before God, either figuratively or really you got on your face and cried out to God for forgiveness. And in the church, 
peace in the church, there will be a confrontation of sin. Often preaching is confronting sin. Often preachers preach, we don't even realize we're confronting something in your life, and there it is. You, you've experienced that. I've got done preaching before, and people said, i got to get new shoes. You stepped on my toes so many times. I said, that wasn't me. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Word of God. I've preached revival meetings for preachers, and they say, let me tell you about a bunch of problems. And I said, please don't tell me anything. Because if you tell me, then I can't say, hey, I'm just preaching the Word of God, and the chips fall where they may, you know. But I've seen the Lord so many times where I've preached places, I had no idea of the situations, the internal workings of the hearts, things going on in homes and the church, and I'm just preaching the Word. And when we're done, people say, wow, you took me to the whipping post. No, I did not. The Lord did. And that's a good thing. I had no idea. But you got that right. Praise the Lord. And I've been there. I've sat there. I've sat in my own church where I'm the pastor. And some guy's up here preaching, and he doesn't know it, but he's raking me over the coals. And I'm saying, well, thank you, Lord. I need to get those things right. In the matter of peace, the Lord uses true scriptural confrontation to bring us to a genuine peace. So he offered Thomas, do you see what he offered him? He said, go ahead, look and feel. Look and touch. He rebuked the faithlessness and called Thomas to believe. Would you look with me there at at, uh, verse 27? Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. Now, what do you think I'm going to say about the little word be? And so what kind of verb, Brother Nathan? It's a being verb. It's a present tense being verb. Why does that matter? Sometimes people tease me and they say, what is it with you and your grammar lectures, you know? Well, the Bible's a book, and it's a book made up of portions and sentences, and the sentences have a construction, and the sentences have words, and there are subjects, and there are verbs, and there are predicate nominatives, and blah, 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 okay? These things matter. We want to understand the Bible. You know know what the big deal is with that being a present tense being verb? He's telling Thomas, don't continue on in a state of being faithless. Saying, be not faithless. You have exhibited faithlessness. Don't you let that keep going to where that is your state of being. It's the same over in John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. The be troubled there, that's a passive verb. So, I, I am actively picking up the water. That's an active verb, right? I am picking up the water. If you said the water was picked up, that's passive. The water is not picking itself up. I mean, that'd be pretty cool if that happened all of a sudden, but that's not happening. I am picking up the water, so the water is passively being picked up. Let not your heart be troubled. They were passively troubled. They were not stirring themselves up, but their hearts were troubled. And he's saying, you can't stay there. You can't stay there. You can't stay in a present tense state of being troubled. You and I will have times that trouble us, but we're not to stay troubled. We're to get our eyes on the Lord and trust the Lord. You understand that? Be not faithless. Don't you stay in this state of faithlessness, Thomas. Don't you continue in this. You see, saved people do not continue in sin. Saved people can sin. Saved people cannot continue in sin. My little daughter right here, Danielle, 
She could sin in my presence. Do you think I would let her continue in it? No. I love her. I love her too much to let her just continue in a sinful attitude or sinful speech or sinful behavior. And our loving and gracious Heavenly Father knows everything about us, and He loves us too much to let us continue in sin. And He'll use every means necessary to get us out of continuing in sin. And so He says, Be not faithless, but believing. And the grammar construction allows for this. You can understand it. I wouldn't rewrite the Bible. God forbid. You change the Bible. But the grammar, you can interpret it this way, and we, we are commanded to interpret the Bible to give the sense of it. You could say, be not faithless, but be believing. The be also applies to the believing also. But be believing, but believing. Don't continue in a state of faithlessness, but be in a state of believing. That's how we live the Christian life. Tom, uh, Jesus was faithful. Faithful to call him back to where he ought to be. And then when Thomas said, my Lord and my God... Jesus said, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Now, that's interesting to me. He received Thomas's faith. That's a pretty weak faith. It's a faith that was only satisfied with seeing. You ever think of that? Some people will say, well, if you see it, it's not believing. <laughs> he said, you've seen it and you believe. That's something else. You see it and now you're you're really believing me and committed and all. Now, he'd already been saved, but he hadn't been accepting that Jesus was alive right now at this point. Thomas, if we could go back there and ask him, he might have said, well, I definitely believe he's going to be alive at some point, you know, at the end, you know, he's going to be sitting on his throne and everything, but he should have been believing right then because Jesus said after three days or on the third day. He received that puny faith, that weak faith. That little faith. I think Thomas at this point, he's kind of like that guy, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And the Lord says, hey, you, you should be believing without seeing, but you know, you see and you believe, and I, I'm receiving that. Thomas sees Jesus standing there. Jesus, just with the body language alone, is saying, I was crucified, and I'm risen again. Right? Thomas responded, my Lord and my God based on what he saw, my Lord and my God. That was a statement of faith. Praise the Lord. Thomas threw down his doubts, and he believed Jesus is the Lord God. And he personally believed. When he said, my Lord and my God, that's like Elijah who said, oh, Lord, my God. You see that phrase a few times in the Bible. I love that song, oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder. And by the way, you know, uh, you know when you'll be saved is when it goes from being just kind of Jesus is the Lord and all to Jesus is my Lord. My Savior. I'm glad that He died for the sins of the whole world. Praise the Lord. But He died for my sins. My Lord and my God. And so Jesus then gave a blessing. And this is where we conclude. Believe and be blessed. Believe and be blessed. We've seen the failure of Thomas, the faithfulness of the Lord. And then we see this promise concerning us jesus gave a blessing here do you see that blessing he gave he said because thou hast seen me thou hast believed blessed let's all read it together verse 29 the last part blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed 
Let me just give you something to chew on. Here's a blessing none of the apostles got in on. They never got that blessing. You can say the apostles got to hand out the loaves and the fishes. They did, and we didn't get to. But they didn't get in on this blessing. We can say the apostles got to see Lazarus come out of the grave. That's right, but they don't get in on this blessing. The apostles get to rule and reign over the 12 tribes of Israel, but they do not get in on this blessing right here. This is something we get in on. They missed out on this. Isn't that amazing to think about that? Believe and be blessed. We didn't get to experience Pentecost, but we get in on this blessing. None of them even got in. Mary, the mother of Jesus, didn't get in on this blessing. How about that? John the Baptist doesn't get in on this blessing. We get in on this blessing here. Having not seen and yet have believed. You say, you don't need to see Jesus with these eyes right here, with your eyes. You know where he is tonight? When my kids were just little, I'd start telling them this often. I'd say, where is Jesus? And, they, and I'd teach them to say, he's sitting on his throne in heaven. That's where he is. He's physically sitting on his throne in heaven. Now he's with us in the person and presence of the Holy Spirit of Christ. But Jesus is physically sitting on his throne in heaven. And he's in our midst by the presence of his Holy Spirit. But we receive the testimony of the scriptures, the testimony of the apostles, the testimony of Jesus preserving his word and his churches, and the testimony of all the fulfilled prophecies, and the testimony of the transformed lives all over this room and everywhere we go where the people of God are. And we know that Jesus absolutely is alive, and we receive the perfect testimony of the Word of God, for faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Now listen, you don't need to feel something, and I don't need to see something and feel something, and neither you don't need either one of those. We have the absolute evidence of the Scriptures. He is working. He is alive. And I want you to look at the very next passage, verse 31, right after we see, Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Look at verse 31. But these are what? Written. These are written. That ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, believing, continuous, Lifestyle believing. There's no such thing as I used to believe on Jesus in real saving belief. No way. No, if I truly believed on Jesus, I'm still believing. And if I'm believing, that's because I did believe. And I'll keep on believing. We are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them of them which believe to the saving of the soul. Praise the Lord. People argue over, should we call that the perseverance of the saints or the preservation? I don't care what you call it. Say people can't stop believing. You can't. You, if you really repented, you'll keep on repenting all the way to glory. And if you really believe, you'll keep on believing all the way to glory. And if there ever comes a day where you no longer believe, that just lets everybody know you never did believe. You intellectually believed, maybe. You believed like a devil and you trembled, but you didn't really believe unto salvation. What a blessing we have here. I don't need to, quote, I just got to see God working. I need to see God do something tonight, brother. I just don't know if I can keep on preaching. If I need to see God do something, I can open this book and I can turn anywhere I want and say, wow, look at what God did. 
I can look at my life and say, He has kept me and sustained me and chastised me and taught me and grown me and He's so good to me. What am I talking about? I need to see God do something. What? Am I like one of the Galileans? Or am I like Herod? Or am I like one of the faithless and perverse generation that's demanding, give me a sign? Unfortunately, a lot of Baptist people are acting like that nowadays. Well, I, I, I think we're doing God's will. I really hope. I'm praying He'll just really show us something to give us some type of... What are we doing? Are we going Pentecostal? Charismatic? Well, no, we're not asking to talk in tongues. Oh, we're wanting signs and wonders just on a slightly less scale than them. Why don't you just go for broke? Why don't you say, I want to see the dead raised or something? Because you know you'd be silly because if you want to see the dead raised, open up the Bible and read about it. This is it right here. And by the way, if you're paying attention, you'll see the hand of God at work in your life all the time. Truth is, every time your heart beats, every time the air is coming in and out of you, that's the blessed work of God. By Him all things consist. The reason the whole universe isn't blown into a trillion pieces is because He's got the whole thing in His hands. He's holding it all together. So He's absolutely working. I, I'm Listen, I remember years ago, about 25 years ago, 24 years ago, we had just gotten going in Brunswick, Maine. I was helping Pastor Mitchell Sr. start the church. At that time, I was his helper. Now he's my helper. And, and I, I thank the Lord for that. But I was helping him, and, and we'd been faithfully preaching and witnessing and things. And, you know, we, some things were, a little bit was happening here and there. But I was sitting at my dad and mom's dining room table when they lived back in Word Circle in Brunswick. And, uh, and I remember sitting there one day, and I'd been reading some of these big whoop-de-doo guys that are bragging about how these amazing things, you know. That, like every day they wake up, and there's just miracles all over the place. It's not true, really, but that's what they tell you, you know. And these the big amazing super duper boys i knew one preacher that's what he called them the super duper boys and i'd been reading some of their books and i remember sitting at the table and i and i looked at dad and i just said dad i just i just want to see god do something great and he said something like okay and i said no i i mean i want to see something great and he said so preaching the word of god faithfully evangelizing saying some people, you know, realize that they, they need to get some things right with the Lord. Some people that look like they might get saved soon. He said, I guess that's not great. Dad, you know what I mean. I want to see a great move of God. And he said something like, that's stupid. You just need to be taking God at His word and doing the work of God and the will of God. And that is great. There's nothing greater than obeying the Lord God. And He'll do what He said He would do. And our part is to obey Him and He'll build His church. Yeah, but I would. Never mind. I knew I wasn't going to win. So I thought, well, I'll just get in the book and I'll show Him. And I got in the book and I found out, yeah, He's exactly right. I was, I was like a faithless and perverse generation looking for some amazing sign you had some of that several years back supposedly over in burlington look at how that all ended poof it was a mess is what it was it was an absolute mess and some of us were at the time observing some of it the unscriptural preaching and unscriptural behavior and unscriptural and and not everything was unscriptural at times things were said that were scriptural Times gospel was preached plainly, and, and we rejoice when the gospel is preached. But the, that whole thing as a whole was a bunch of unscriptural stuff. As a whole, it was just, 
And what happened when it was all done? Poof. Poof. Oh, and now it's, oh, we got to see God do it again. No, what we need to do is be faithful to God. Be faithful to obey the Bible. Just do the will of God from the heart. Believe what is written. And if we believe what is written and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what's commanded. And that is actually what's blessed. Not seeing and feeling some whatever. Years and years and years later, when Peter was an old man, he wrote to the churches that were scattered over in Bithynia and Cappadocia in that area. And he talked about how he said, Whom having not seen, ye love. And whom having seen not, yet ye believe and rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Peter's telling them, listen, in Second Peter, he tells them, I was up there on the mount. He referred to that Mount of Transfiguration in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Peter never got over what he saw up there. I'm telling you, what's coming when we see him in his glory, it's, it's so amazing that Peter decades later is an old man and he still can't stop talking about what he saw for just a few minutes, Brother Robert. And we're going to see it forever and ever. But he tells them, he says, you haven't, you've never seen him in the body of his flesh. And he says, I was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. I heard the voice, ear witness. I saw eyewitness. But he said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. And he said, you are blessed because you believe even though you have not seen. And so I close just with saying, don't ever be faithless waiting to just feel or see something. Just one more thing, Lord, to let me know that you really love me. Let's not talk that way. Oh, Lord, if you'd just show me a sign so I could know that you know about my situation and you care. Wait a minute. The Bible already says he's the God of all comfort, who comforteth those that are cast down, and who comforteth us in all our tribulation. The Bible already says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them that trust in him. Isn't that right? The Bible already says that he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So I don't need to be driving down the road going, oh, Lord, just let me know that you're with me. That's faithless. It says right here he's with me. Oh, Lord, just let us know that, that you're still meeting with Lighthouse Baptist Church. The Bible says he is. We don't have to say all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. We say, praise the Lord, the blessed spirit of the Holy One came down. That's how we sing it at our church. We change that because there's no way that he's not coming down. He's with us all the time. Oh, Lord, if you'll just show up and show off. He's here the whole time. He was here before we ever got here. He was here. We were in his mind, on his heart, before there was ever any angel, before there was ever any creation. And we belong to him. He's never going to leave us without him. Praise the Lord. Don't be demanding something more. And by the way, if you're lost, don't be demanding something else. Well, if the Lord would just have the preacher say this, or if they'd just play one more verse, or if I would just feel this, if you're lost, you need to be saved. You don't need to wait to feel something. You need to repent and believe on Jesus. Believe the gospel. Christ died for your sins and Christ arose. And let's remember, when any of us are doubting and confused like Thomas, let's encourage each other. Hey, Christ is risen. And you're blessed if you believe what is written. In every situation, let's believe what the Lord reveals about His Word. You might be in some awful battle and tribulation right now. You say, I'm not sure what to do. The Bible says, ask for wisdom. 
But I find, Brother Bradley, often people will ask for wisdom from God, and they won't take the practical steps of pursuing wisdom like God said. And one of those is, God gave you a pastor. Pastor, help me. Please pray with me. Can, can we get some other men in the church and pray? Can we, can we pray for wisdom? And it might be when you're asking for wisdom that then your pastor says, well, I'm going to give you some wisdom from the Bible. And what you do then is you say, well, praise the Lord. I'm praying for wisdom. Now he's going to give me some wisdom from the Bible. Don't say, well, I'm just waiting to see if it feels right. I'm hoping to see something. No, go with what is written. Believe and be blessed.